Welcome to the Acres of Diamonds podcast with Bob Larson, a nationally recognized expert in the analysis of complex life insurance structures. In the Acres of Diamonds podcast, Bob talks about the flip side of owning a life insurance policy that your client has outgrown or that has underperformed. We share insight and strategies to help advisors maximize the effectiveness and value of their clients' life insurance policies. Hello and welcome to Acres of Diamonds with Bob Larson from the Settlement Masters. Today, we're going to be answering a single question. It's not a simple question, it's a single question, and Bob's going to address this. The question is, what are some of the ratios a provider uses to price a policy? Good afternoon, Bob. How are you? I am great. I'm filled with the holiday Christmas season spirit, and I'm great. I'm really uh, excited about answering these questions for the listener. Yeah, absolutely. For those that are listening, for us, it is right before Christmas. I know when this is produced, it'll be about mid-January or toward the end of January. So we're hoping you're still riding high from those holidays and you had a great time. Hey, Bob, before we get started today, for some of those listeners that are just joining us or or some of the listeners that maybe have caught a podcast or two, but not uh, not a lot of the information in general that you're giving, can you give us a an overview or help us to understand what a settlement of life insurance is and why the advisor needs to know about this as an emerging market and why it needs so much attention from advisors right now? Great opening question, Eric. A settlement at the basic level is a sale of a life insurance policy to a willing uh, buyer. And the willing buyer uh, is an institutional trust that invests in life insurance policies as an investment. The emerging market part is uh, has been happening uh, uh, over the years as a result of the aging population. Mm-hmm. Uh, more people, 10,000 uh, 10, a day are turning 65. All those people have parents and grandparents. The age of that group is being pushed into a very large uh, group. That's one issue why this is relevant today. The second issue is that life insurance companies have not earned the kind of money that they need to operate successfully over the last 10 years. Bonds that they invest in have not been producing the kind of revenue. So they made a decision two years ago that I don't agree with. The decision was to locate a block of clients that are old enough where they're going to have to be able to, they're going to have to be paying off the benefits in the next five to six years, raise their cost inside the policy so that they can't afford it to get them off the books. Mm -hmm. And that's what's been happening. $143 billion of face amount of life insurance is lapsing or being cashed in this year and every year for the next 11 years. So the market has exploded. Unfortunately, most advisors are not aware of it. They will be largely due to fiduciary laws and and anti-discrimination laws against seniors that are coming up. They will be, but I'm asking them to do it now because of all the things that we can do to help these people. Yeah. And and $143 billion is a tremendous reason to do it now because that's a lot of policies. That's a lot of seniors that are going to lose out. But why is this so relevant for 2019, right this moment? Why is it so relevant today? Because the number is exploding. The numbers of policies that are, that are getting a five times increase inside their policy that is destroying the mm. policies and people are actually being hurt. 
in the thousands and they're in the 80s and 90s. They're not young people that can recover and 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 pay more. These people are retired. They're living on their retirement. They do not need the life insurance. They're dropping it or they're cashing it in. And it's relevant because of the swelling population of people that are in this crowd. If you talk to anybody 80 years old, at least a half of them will own life insurance. They don't know why. They're either paying premium or they're not paying premium. And the policy is imploding because of the internal cost increase. And that, I mean, that's obviously, to me, this doesn't seem fair. Uh, and, and that's not fair to that group of people, especially because they are the most vulnerable, in my opinion, because of their earning power, which they retired. They're, they're not earning and bringing in more money. Um, they're living off of what they worked so hard for for all those years. So um, it, it, that's very disappointing. So I, I want to change gears now and and start to answer that question we asked right off the bat. So you've talked about life insurance being a great investment for big institutional funds. Why do they look to life insurance policies as an attractive investment? Well, big investment funds, big institutional investment funds like pension funds, BlackRock, Apollo, uh, funds that buy businesses, they have found another investment class that they can predict the the outcome, the return on their money. They can predict it with great certainty. So they looked to life insurance when they found that the historic picture pattern that life insurance companies use to issue life insurance was so predictable. They knew exactly how long people were going to live based on their health at the time that they purchased life insurance. They didn't know who was going to die soon, but they knew how many every year. Every year they could predict how many people were going to die at each age. And so when the investment world began to look at that, they began to do some actuarial work to determine what kind of return could we earn on investment uh, monies invested in life insurance policies. And they found out with great certainty that it was more predictable than the stock market, more predictable than the real estate world. If purchased properly, they had a great opportunity to be able to predict the outcome of their uh, investment returns. Mm. Bob, before we go into how the investment community arrives at a price that they will pay for a life policy, Remind us how the investment community is structured. That's a good question, Eric. Most people uh, are not aware of this. Initially, there were funds looking for policies. And then as regulations began to occur, uh, the regulators required the settlement industry to have a policy manager. They call it a provider. A provider is a fund manager of life insurance policies. The only investment that they have in this fund are life insurance policies. The fund will come to them and say, like BlackRock, they may dedicate $100 million to the fund. And they'll say, we want 16% uh, return on our money annually. And so the provider then has to calculate what kind of policy in bulk would be able to provide that kind of return. And that's their job, the provider. Then there are brokers. And the broker is someone that facilitates, locates and facilitates the process of gathering information and communicating information to the policy owner. Mm. And that broker is a very important piece in the structure because they are the ones that take on the liability 
with the buyer if when they're talking to the buyer or if they're dealing through an agent or advisor, they have to make sure that the proper information is, is communicated, that the proper forms are signed, that all the information that the provider needs is packaged before they send it off. And that's what the typical broker does. There's a whole lot more that they need to do, but that's what they typically do. So those are the three steps, the fund, the provider, the broker, and then, of course, the advisor is the fourth piece that is needed in the transaction. So using that information, I'm assuming that this is going to answer this question, but is that how the provider arrives at what policies they want to buy? Yes. The, the provider decides based on certain criteria. They utilize three or four factors, one of which is the chronological age of the, of the seller, the, the client, to the paper that the policy is written on. In other words, the carrier mm-hmm. that the policy is written from. It has to be a quality AA or A-rated carrier so they know it's going to be in business. There has to be a premium to death benefit ratio of under 5%. And there are life expectancy studies that must be done by the broker or for on behalf of the broker for the provider life expectancy has to be done usually two or three of them have to be done by independent actuarial firms and then taking those four things into consideration the provider is able to identify the policy that will provide the kind of return if purchased in bulk meaning that they can't have one policy they have to have hundreds of policies within the pool, which is the, the thing that life insurance companies operate in. It's called statistical probability. Mm-hmm. And if you have 100 policies or 200 that meet the criteria of the investor, the fund, then you're going to drive with certainty the right kind of return rate. Bob, everybody has a life expectancy, right? I mean, we I expect to live past my next birthday, I hope. <laughs> I think we all hope for that, right? Um, can you just remind us what life expectancy is in general and what it actually means in calculating the price the provider will actually pay? Yeah, good question, Eric. Uh, life expectancy is mostly misconstrued because life expectancy uh, tells uh, the provider and the client, uh, based on their health and all the criteria I just talked about, what is the life expectancy of that individual based on a pool of people with like medical background and and like uh, medical history? The life expectancy is telling us an age at which that pool, in that pool, 50% of them will have passed, but yet 50% of them are still alive. So if we get a life expectancy, for an example, of 10 years for a 75-year-old client, what's that saying is that 50% of those people that are 75 with this medical condition in 10 years will have passed away. But it also says that 50% of them are still living. So with that ratio, life expectancy can tool the rate of return based on the other criteria for a bulk or a pool of a hundred or more policies. Bob, what other elements are used in the price offering by the provider? 
Well, uh, we just talked about life expectancy. That's an important one. And we use two or three uh, actuarial firms to determine the life expectancy. And frankly, they're different. Each of the actuarial firms come in with a different number based on their experience with uh, the same information. The other elements that are provided is the paper that it's that the policy is written on, the carrier. The premium to death benefit ratio has to be under 5%. And the reason for that is the buyer, the provider, does not want to be paying premiums that are more than 5% because that reduces the actual return rate for the for the investor, the institutional fund. So the ratio has to be 5% to death benefit or less. Uh, sometimes if we have a 7 or 8% to death benefit ratio, which would mean 80,000 uh, for a million dollar policy, 80,000 a year for a million dollar policy is 8% annually of the death benefit. Sometimes if the life expectancy is shorter than what they need, let's say it's four years based on their medical history, that means that 50% of people in that category will have passed in four years and 50% will still be living. So they, we can have a higher premium to death benefit ratio, but it's got to be offset by a life expectancy number that comes in uh, under the 10-year margin. So they use the life expectancy, the policy carrier, the premium to death benefit ratio. And those are the three primary categories that a provider looks at when he's pricing out a policy. Got it. Now, Bob, I am not a financial advisor. Uh, I've worked with a ton of them over the years. And if I'm an advisor listening to this, my first question is, how would I know if one of my clients is a candidate for a life settlement? Well, the first thing is, Eric, if they are in the 80 plus category and they own life insurance, that is the number one thing you'd look at in terms of offering them a diagnostic comparison. Uh, I'm going to give you a scientific appro approach to this, a, a diagnostic comparison of the present value of keeping the policy versus the present value of the price that we could get for them in the settlement marketplace. An advisor won't know if the client is a candidate unless they understand he's got to have some medical background history. Uh, he's got to be really close to 80 plus uh, in order for him to have a 10 year or less life expectancy. And the only way you can really determine that is to have them go through that diagnostic process. Okay. So then my next question is, I've got a couple of those clients, let's say uh, 80 plus, really close to 80. And I think I've identified a couple. What can I tell my client as to why he should or she should consider a life settlement? Well, I tell them about the problem, Eric. I would immediately say that there are eight carriers in this industry that have raised the internal cost of, of insurance and it's destroying the life insurance policies. And if you have a policy and you're in the age group, you need to have this diagnostic completed in order to determine what to do if you have a problem and the, the solution can be either a settlement or a restructuring of the life insurance contract you have. And you'd want to say, Mr. Prospect, because of this problem of there's $143 billion of face amount a year that is being affected by this cost of insurance increase, your policy may very well be in that group. And 
our service allows us to be able to determine if there's a problem and if so, how to fix it. The fact that you're going to be able to talk to them and say, hey, this is, we can take a negative and turn it into a positive. That's, that's great. But as an advisor, what should they be telling their client their policy might be worth? Well, that's something I tell a client, uh, an advisor, please don't do. Uh, just tell them that it'll be, if it's, if they're the right candidate, if they qualify, it'll be significantly higher than their cash surrender value. We don't know until we go through a pre-qualification mm -hmm. whether or not the, the policy will even price. So he, for, and many times an advisor will give a, a client an idea that is way beyond or way under uh, what the real market would, would bring to that policy. And when they do that, it kind of sometimes postpones the deal or takes it off the table. Mm -hmm. if, they, if they tell the client it's worth more than the market could bear uh, and we come in with a lesser number, the client is, uh, is um, disappointed. Exactly. So we tell them not to give them a number, just to tell them if you're a candidate uh, and your policy is infected by this problem, we can help you fix it or we can drive a value in the secondary market that could be significantly higher than your cash value. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. The last thing we want to do is disappoint a client or get their hopes up for something that, that may not work out the, the same way we said. So that's definitely something to be careful of. Um, moving on to something else, 2019 is, it's, it, we're at the beginning of 2019 here, and most advisors are working on their goals and what they're going to do for their business for growth. And there's all sorts of things that they should be doing during this time. Taking on something else can seem really, really difficult, right? I mean, it can seem like a hard thing to do. So how can an advisor incorporate this service into their practice for 2019 and beyond with what they're already doing every day? That's a great question. Uh, we're creatures of habit. Mm -hmm. uh, we form habits and they kind of control us. Uh, I tell advisors, you ask good questions if you're a competent advisor. You ask good questions to the client to determine their current situation and how they see it's working for them. You ask them about their goals. You ask them about their timeline. You ask them all those questions. All I'm asking you to do is to ask them, have they had the asset of life insurance evaluated in light of what's going on today in the life insurance business that's affecting policies? Typically, they'll say, well, what's going on? then they can tell them that there is a massive increase in policy mm -hmm. costs for the senior group and it's destroying policies. And I am recommending that you allow us to do a diagnostic on the life insurance contract. If there's a problem, we probably can fix it. If we can't fix it, we'll find out what the secondary market will bring us as a multiple over your cash value. In other words, if your cash value is 200, can we get 600? Can we get 800? What can we get over the cash value? Once you have all that information, you'll know how to make a good decision for your family. Yeah, absolutely. And what you just said there, if it's worth 200 and you can get 400, well, that's a happy call. That's a happy phone call. Uh, so obviously absolutely. pricing is going to be key in the success of this type of service. Because if you come back and say it's worth 200 and we get you 150, well, no, <laughs> it's not a good idea. You know, it's not a good deal. So since pricing is so important, uh, what advice would you give an advisor who has tried settlements and hasn't had any type of success? Well, you know, that's, if you take the industry of life insurance people, for an example, 
probably of, of all the life insurance people that are that have been in the business 10 years or more, uh, they've tried a settlement and it's been turned down. What we train uh, advisors to do is to ask the right questions, just like they do with everything else. Make sure you know the right questions to ask a client. Know who is the client? Who is the category that the insurance companies have targeted? Who are they? If you know who they are, you're certainly not going to ask a 65-year-old about his life insurance, and it might be an idea uh, to talk to him about settlements. You're not going to do that because he's way too young. His mm-hmm. life expectancy is going to be 20 years probably. But what you can do is ask him about his parents and grandparents mm-hmm. because he's likely to be the beneficiary of those people. Uh, so an advisor that's been that's tried to do life settlements and has had poor success needs to learn, needs to be tooling up the questions he asks to the right people. And the right people are 80-plus crowd. They're people that 50% of them own some life insurance. And of that 50%, 68% are having difficulty keeping the policy or not paying any premium, and it'll ultimately die before they do. So those are the people we need to ask questions of and ask the right questions. When I have advisors come to us, and they bring us a 65-year-old, I say, let me ask you to go through our webcast training on how, mm-hmm. wh- who is the prospect and what you need to say to them. Because a 65-year-old has way too long of a life expectancy. If you bring in an 80-year-old that's running marathons, probably, even though he's 80, he's probably got a 15-year life expectancy. So you, you, you have to know the questions that you ask. What meds are you on? What, what have you gone to the doctor for in the last five years? Just like you do when you're qualifying somebody for the purchase of life insurance, you ask specific questions to find out, oh, are they going to be able to qualify to begin with? It's about asking the right questions. Great advisors are great qualifiers, great yeah. question askers. Yeah, definitely. And so that's what I want the audience to hear. Yeah, I mean, they just have to. It's, it's communication. They they'd have to be good at communication to do their job in the first place. And I want to go back to something you just said uh, a few minutes ago. If you've got a 60, 65, 55 year old, uh, depending on when their parents had them, they're going to have probably parents in that category. Uh, and that is something advisors that you should know about your client anyway. If you do not have your uh, your client book seg- uh, segmented. In other words, doing an advanced client segmentation on your book. If you don't know what which of your clients have parents that are still alive, that's a huge thing because you should you should already know that because are they going to get an inheritance or are they going to have to be taken care of uh, those parents? Because so many of them are in a sandwich, what we call the sandwich generation right now, where they have kids and they have parents and they're still trying to help take care of both. So I think if you don't know, that's definitely something you need to be finding out advisors so that you can say, Hey, you know what? Do you know if your parents have life insurance? Here's what's happening. Just like Bob said, this is what's happening in this industry. And I want to make sure, you know, you're my client, but I want to make sure that your parents are taken care of as well. So it may be a conversation you can help your clients have with their parents to greatly affect their retirement years. I think that's so important. So Bob, do you have any closing thoughts today? I know we're running low on time and I don't want to take up too much time uh, with my stuff. Do you have any other closing thoughts? Well, Eric, just as an addendum to what you just said, there are a lot of 65-year-olds, 60-year-olds, 50-year-olds that are terrified about their parents 
healthcare and how they're going to be able to manage that. And with Alzheimer's on an all increasing rise, the cost of that is enormous and it can wipe out the savings that a retired yep. person has. If they have a life insurance contract that is not performing, it's going to die. Why not turn it into money that could be used for taking care of your parents, mm -hmm. giving them a higher retirement? Sometimes they can purchase LTC that will cover some of those costs. But the idea being that this is a, an emerging problem for people in the 80s and 90s, and advisors really that care about their client uh, really have to understand that this is a great solution for the right for the right client. And, and I hope they get the message today. Uh, I know that things get thrown at you. It's the end of the year. A lot of things are needing to be cleaned up and this is probably a tough time to add something else on. But I tell you, if you set goals, as I'm sure you're all doing, you'll set a goal to be able to become a consummate interviewer, a consummate communicator to people that are in that category or people that have parents and grandparents in that category so that you can help them solve a major problem because they need it. This is something that has to be done. And my poem that I always leave you with, it's something that I live by because procrastination is uh, something that we all have some of. But uh, I, one of my mentors told me on the plains of hesitation, bleak the bones of countless millions, that on the dawn of victory, they sat down and there they died. And don't sit down. Call us. We can help you. We can help you through the process. We can help you learn the questions. My name is Bob Larson at Settlement Masters. Our number is 877-927-7243. We have all kinds of educational tools. Plus, we'll give you E&O on every case. We'll do the case for you, and you get the bulk of the commissions. Thank you very much, Eric. Absolutely, Bob. Thank you so much for your time today, too. And thank you all for listening to the Acres of Diamonds podcast with Bob Larson. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Bob comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it much easier to share these podcasts with your friends, families, and colleagues. Thanks again for listening. For everyone at the Settlement Masters, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Acres of Diamonds podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.